Oh, one of my favorite places. What's that old country music? I don't know if I can get the tune. Together again. You know. You thought I forgot all my country when I went to Columbia, didn't you? No. no. Sean, do you know what the people at Northeast call me? We have five pastors. Please pay, pray for Dr. George Crow. Our senior pastor has been there for 37 years. 37 years. And he's seen assistants come and go. But the, um, we have four assistants. We're all pretty good guys. The other three are anyway. And uh, the people, whenever I get to preach, got to preach on Monday, Thursday. I've done Monday, Thursday the last three years for them and loved it. They say, when I preach, you, John, you're our Baptist preacher. And that is a, a great compliment, you know. Mercy. Wonderful. Um, thank you. Thank you for being here even if you knew I was going to be here. Thank you, Sean, for the great invitation to return to a, a church that I pray for. You're in my hearts and are my heart and mind, Linda's heart and mind all the time. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your light. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your witness and your testimony. Thank you for your worship and all that goes with it. You're a special people to us, and we love you. I was able to say that when I was with you, and I say that when I'm without you. We love you. We thank you for this great church in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Thank you. Linda's here. The children are doing well. All the pastoral grandchildren are doing well. We're doing well, and we thank you for your prayers for us. Thank you. My privilege to bring God's word to you today. It is printed for you. It's the second gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, the second chapter, verses um, 13 through 17. It's printed for you. And I'll read it from the bulletin. It's from the, of course, um, English Standard Version, I presume. I haven't examined it closely, but it's in what I've seen. It is. Mark 2, 13 through 17. Hear the word of God. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May God add his blessing upon his inspired word of truth. Before our message, let us now go in prayer. Let us bow. Oh, Heavenly Father, we've come because of your word. The incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, you, Holy Spirit, bringing to us Jesus and bringing to us more and more refreshments and realities of your inscripturated truth, this word that's before us. Thank you, Father, for the wonders of the Bible. And I pray that you would help us now, Lord. We want to be sincere about it. We want to be honest in proclaiming it and receiving it and then using it and going from this place with it 
to help us, yes, temporally, day by day, week in and week out, but also eternally. God, give us your spirit with power now. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Despite all of the emphasis, and it's been so much emphasis in the last 25 years, hasn't it? 25 years of emphasis, emphasizing health care. Health care. We really either want to get well or we want to do something to somebody. And then all, all the advances in medical techniques. Doctors are always having to learn the new instruments, the way to measure. But despite all of that, the health care, the techniques, some people still want to avoid doctors. I hope that is none of you. But there are reasons we avoid doctors. The three big ones, I presume, you can add to this on your own. Think about it today at lunch. First one, of course, is money. Not all medical insurance policies are equal. The second is pride. We don't want somebody who's 35 years old who acts like they know it all to tell us that we need to lose 20 pounds and go exercise again. I mean, we were told that by a 65 and 70-year-old. And then the big one is fear. We're afraid of what he might find out or she might find out about us. I'm not being paid to say this. No one knew. I guess Sean knew a few days ago what my sermon title was. But if you're not feeling very well, you feel like there may be something wrong with you, would you please go see a doctor? That may be the one who will give you the proper diagnosis and provide the proper cure. And we're going to talk about those things later. Let's think about doctor, though, in the bigger sense, the more important sense, the church sense, the biblical sense, the Jesus sense. When, uh, because Jesus, among his, all his wonderful names, think of the great names we've sung about already. Come thou fount of every blessing was played by Deborah. All the other great names, prophet, priest, and king, and son of our, my soul, savior, dear. Jesus doesn't mind if we use the words great physician, great doctor about him, I'm sure. When he walked on this earth, he healed all kinds of diseases and, and all kinds of maladies and all kinds of disabilities, didn't he? He was that kind of God, man. He made the lame to walk, and we love to read those stories. He made the blind to see. We just are fascinated by that. He made the deaf to hear. Can you imagine hearing for the first time? Just what we've heard in this room this morning. It is wonderful, isn't it, that God loves our bodies so much. Don't forget that, because we're going to receive new ones when Christ comes again. And I can't wait to run again. I mean really run and have fun again with my body. Chase Linda all around everywhere. 
But the greatest miracle of healing, of course, <laughs> a miracle Jesus will still does today. He's doing it in our midst, possibly. Would he prayed for it? What is it? Jesus Christ takes sinful people whose prognosis is certain death, certain death, and he conquers our sin, he cures the evil from our lives, and he gives us eternal life. Unfortunately, as reluctant as many people are to go to ordinary medical doctors, we're just as reluctant, people are just as reluctant to go to the great physician, the great doctor, and muchly for the same kinds of reasons. We may stay away from Jesus because we know there'll be a cost. He said there would be in Luke 14. You to deny yourself, renounce yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's a cost there. We've got to pay the price of that cost. Doesn't sound like grace, but it comes after we're given grace with a new heart. It's gracious. God's gracious and merciful to us. We may not come to Jesus because of pride. We just don't want to say we've got to be healed by a 2,000-year-old Galilean carpenter. And then there's fear. We may avoid Jesus because of fear, afraid that he will tell us that we're in bad shape. We don't want to deal, deal with guilt, do we? And fear of judgment. And we're not, naturally, we're not naturally confident that he will help us. Each of us believes that we are the exception. Every person believes they're the exception. And we're not. Oh, dear ones, whatever holds us back from going to Jesus, we need to go to him anyway. We need to ask and love people to do that who are holding back from Jesus. He's the only one of his kind. He's the only one who loves the way he does and forgives the way he does. And also, he's the only one that each one of us in this room and everyone outside of this room will spend a day with before eternity. And you know what that day is called. So you want your judge to be your doctor. When Jesus ex explained why he came into this world, he pictured himself as a doctor and we people as his patients. He said, Mark 2.17, didn't he? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. When we go to Jesus, the gentle healer, the great physician of our souls, what should we expect? Well, what do we expect out of our ordinary medical doctors? First, we want an accurate diagnosis. That's not always easy for those men and women, but we want something accurate. If something is wrong or ailing us, we want to know what it is. And once the problem is diagnosed, we want a cure. So those two issues, diagnosis and cure, the big issues that we're going to look at with Jesus, from Jesus. We look for those things when we go to a doctor, and we look, need to look for those things when we go to Jesus. He is the great doctor. Jesus says, once again, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the Lord's diagnosis of our situation. You say, John, I wonder why he didn't use the word dead there. That's what he used here. He used sick, sick unto death. Paul talks about us being dead in sins. Sick and death. It's pretty close here. Unless something changes in us, we're doomed to eternal death and suffering. 
And you might say to yourself, how do I know that? How do we know? An ordinary medical doctor can show me some evidence, all kinds of evidence. We ask for what he's gone over and we take out two or three sheets with us every time we come out of the doctor's office. Probably to take to another doctor to show him what that doctor said. I mean, does God have any way of showing us, of showing me, you, that I'm a sinner? Yes, he does. He does. By means of his law. By means of his law. God's moral law law shows us how unhealthy we are. I mean, we may get some some sense of our condition through the the inner law of our conscience. Paul talks about the conscience in Romans chapter 2. But the clearest, if the conscience is not informed by the law, then it's not informed by the clearest, most reliable test that, that is God's written law in the Bible, especially the Ten Commandments. Think about how our bodies work. Sometimes when something is wrong, we may feel pain, don't we? But it's possible to feel no pain at all and yet not have and still have a deadly condition. Feeling healthy is no guarantee that we are healthy. Sometimes sin, moral sickness, can be painless for a while. You go on in sin and you say, no, you know, nothing's happened to me. God must not be looking. He must not have seen me. He must not know. But in some cases, those stabs of conscience may tell us something is wrong or huge problems that I'm sure no one in this room has been a part of, such as a prison sentence or some horrid divorce or out-of-wedlock pregnancy may show that something is amiss, but it doesn't have to be those things. It may simply be the relationship with your wife or husband or your children or your boss or with money. All the conditions of life. And even if your conscience or mine is not bothering us about these things and we're not facing a crisis because of sinful behavior, you may still have a very deadly problem. You, we know don't we? The Bible teaches it. The problem is always not on the outside, but it's on the inside. And sometimes we, many times, we like to cover the inside up. The objective test of your and my spiritual health is the written law of God in the Bible. Just as an objective medical test can diagnose a deadly disease you didn't know you had, so God's law can identify some sin that you didn't even know you had. As Paul puts it in Romans 7, 7, it's very clear, isn't it? I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not know what sin was except through the law. Just go down through the Ten Commandments. Do it yourself. Do it this afternoon. The Masters is gone and, you know, the NBA NBA, uh, finals have just started. Not finals, just the game. Go this afternoon. There's nothing to keep you. There's nothing on television. It's rainy. Go to the Word of God. Go to Exodus 20 and read once again the Ten Commandments and let it diagnose you. It's our spiritual MRI like nothing else. Read Read the Ten Commandments. God's law commands us to love God above all, says our Lord, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, even our enemies. Anything, than that, anything less than that kind of love means that we're sick. 
God's objective law shows us that we're sick with sin. And sin left to run its own course, as Paul says in Romans 6, results in that death. That is eternal death in the place that we don't talk about anymore. Hell. And what are you and I tempted to say from words like this from a pastor now in Columbia, South Carolina? What are we tempted to say? No way. No way. I can't be that bad. I'm basically a good person. You ought to know my brother-in-law. My conscience, my conscience feels fine. Sure, nobody's perfect, but I'm better than most people. I mean, I know what really rotten sinners look like and they sound like out there, and I'm not one of them. And that's understandable if you feel that way. Many times I fall into that temptation daily with you. But suppose you're tested and you are confirmed to have the word that we never want to hear about us. One of the reasons we don't go to a doctor. You're confirmed to have cancer. And you say, Doc, no way. No way. I feel fine. Just look at me of a picture of health. Besides, I know what cancer does to people. I've seen victims. I'm not that way. I don't have cancer. But all those words and all those feelings do not change the result of the test. Here's a point. If you do nothing but defend yourself, you die. If we do nothing but defend ourselves, we die. Sin is like cancer, isn't it? The size of the sin or the number of sins is almost beside the point. Having sin anywhere in your system means you're doomed if if nothing is done about it. That's Jesus' diagnosis. He's the great physician. He's the great doctor. He said, John, I want another opinion. They are everywhere. Every world religion gives you another opinion. There are now older historic denominations of so-called Christianity that will give you a second opinion. You can find a, a second opinion all over the internet, all over a family reunion. But I remind you, you didn't say it today. It's all right. Hope every now and then you will. This is just a pastor following you that says this. No harm, no foul. You know it, many of you do. A phrase that we use about Jesus. Please understand, what do we say? From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. People, you want your judge to be your doctor. There's the diagnosis. Jesus, praise his name, also offers the cure. What's the cure for sin? Well, we may be tempted to think it's so good, it really is, that God's law is the cure. Guessing that all we have to do is try harder and live up to the law. But God's law is good and as wonderful as it is. And Paul, yes, once again in Romans, Romans chapter 7 verse 12, calls the law holy and righteous and good. The law cannot cure sin. Here's a point. 
The law is great for diagnosing the problem, but not for curing it. So when someone says to you, I'm doing the best I can, try to say in love, look, you're trying to live up to the law. That's good, but that's not the cure. It diagnoses us well, but it doesn't cure us. All the tests that a doctor can give to us are fine. But neither the test nor the results are the cure. They can lead to a diagnosis, of course. But we need something else from the doctor. And we need something besides the law to save us from sin. Well, of course, we know. The majority of you in this room are evangelical Christians, or or you've been putting on a front for decades. The great good news of the Bible is that God himself has provided exactly the cure that we need. Once again, Paul and Romans can't leave Romans, can we? Romans 8, 3. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son. Our cure is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's more than an answer. He is the cure that must become a part of us through his spirit. More than a pill, more than a shot. More than a battery of all that would bombard the body to take out cancer. Christ must be closer and greater than that within us. He must be the cure that becomes a part of us. As we see in our passage, Jesus went around calling even the worst of sinners to follow him and enter into God's kingdom and to be his friends and to be made well. He ate with prostitutes and swindlers and with low lives of every kind, we would say. He welcomed one and all to find in him God's forgiveness and eternal life. The context is the calling of Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, the publican, whom Jews hated. And Jesus sat down in Matthew's home with others like Matthew and with prostitutes who came. And many... In that day, many of the Presbyterians who were around Jesus were shocked. And none of you left. There were no Presbyterians in Jesus' day. But oh, yes, they were. They went by another name. Scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. Many of the Presbyterians, okay, let me be honest, and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and Lutherans and Nazarene and Independents. They didn't live that way. What if we'd heard before the second coming that Jesus came to Orangeburg and he never came here? He went to other parts of town where we don't even go especially on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday nights, or maybe Monday through Friday either. These people around Jesus that day in Matthew's home thought doing good by the law would save them. Their rituals or knowledge would make up for a sin or two. It had to. They felt no need for Jesus. They were scandalized by him. That's when Jesus used verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
He told them that he did not come to set up a club for splendid spiritual specimens. He came for sick people who needed a doctor, didn't he? Jesus went to Calvary's cross and died there to cure us. He poured out his blood and gave up his life to overcome our sin and to give us eternal life. And some of that sounds like doctor's office or, or, or hospital talk, except it's about the soul. By his wounds you are healed. We are healed. Isaiah 55, 5. And right here, that verse and all that goes with it throughout the Gospels and throughout the prophets, throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament, all that, all that goes far beyond what we can picture by just comparing Jesus with a medical doctor. We might want a doctor to be gentle, of course, and have wonderful bedside manners, but we don't expect a, 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 a doctor to love us enough to die for us. I was shocked enough, wondrously shocked just six months ago when I visited a member of our church and the doctor in the room, knowing I was the preacher, knowing I was the preacher, he said, he looked at the man on the bed and said, can I pray for you? And that believer on the bed looked up and said, well, yes. And his wife said, yes. And in my heart I said, go for it. A doctor may pray for us, but neither a doctor or preacher are going to die for us. I mean, when doctors help sick people, they often get paid a great deal for doing so. I hope they do. But Jesus didn't get paid. He paid the cost of his own life to provide a cure for us. Now that's a healthcare system. Maybe the closest medical comparison we can make is, is an organ donor. Jesus went beyond giving us a kidney or essential body part so we could keep living. He gave his entire body, his very life to save us. Somehow in the miracle of God's grace, when we trust in Jesus Christ, listen, his blood takes away our sin. His death rescues us from hell. His wounds heal our soul. His spirit gives us a new heart. And his resurrection gives us eternal life. That is a cure spiritually. And that's not all. Jesus not only overcomes our illness and gives us new life, but he gives us a whole new immune system. Think what happens if your body's immune system doesn't work. Just about any infection or illness can kill you, but with a healthy immune system, the body has the power to fight back. Apart from Jesus Christ, you and I have no immune system at all. Any sin is fatal. Small sins, big sins, public sins, private sins, any sin is fatal. But when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he not only cancels the penalty of our sin, but he also gives you and me the power of the precious, precious Holy Spirit. Presbyterians do not stop emphasizing the Holy Spirit. Our forebear, John Calvin, emphasized it. He had to. The Spirit is too important for us. The Holy Spirit fights against sin and 
the way your immune system fights against infection. It's his energy, his energy, our effort. He provides the energy. But once your heart is changed, you're to make the effort. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's his energy. He gets the praise. We get the sweat. When you and I sin as a Christian, it upsets your system, doesn't it? But it can no longer kill you. Because you have within you the power of the Holy Spirit to attack sin and to overcome it. In this world, we have sins to deal with. As you've heard 3,000 times, we will not be perfect here on this earth. But when you belong to Jesus Christ, the Spirit guarantees not only that you will live forever, He gives you the, the power to survive your bouts with sin, however they come, by depression, by hurt, by sorrow, as well as by hurting others and hurting our relationship with God. He gives us the power to grow stronger and healthier the longer He lives in you and me. The blood of Jesus Christ on the one hand and the Holy Spirit of Jesus on the other, that is the cure for sin. It's the only cure. I ask you today, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Have you gone to the great physician, the great doctor, submitting to his diagnosis that you're a sinner? And do you do that, hopefully, just about, surely, I hope you will, every day? And then have you accepted his cure, praying for pardon through his blood and resurrection, and receiving the Holy Spirit? Pardon me, my body's drying out. Maybe there's one of you or two of you that this offends especially when I said the only cure just a moment ago. It's God's only way. You and I so often, and many, many out there, do not come to Christianity because they want many ways, else they say that God is unfair. Maybe you're saying that in your heart. But what if there was a cure for the cancer you contracted? What, the, what if they came up with a cure? One pill, one shot, one cure. Would such a cancer sufferer complain the unfairness of only one cure? Would they write the AMA and said, I'm not getting cured for this until you have many cures? If you've only got one? No, they wouldn't. They'd make a beeline for Duke, or they'd make a beeline for Cleveland, or they'd make a beeline for Houston, or they'd make a beeline wherever we make beelines to, and we'd get that cure. And everybody would send us and everybody would be praying for it. One cure is a lot better than none. But we have God's cure. And you may be like so many, like myself. You know people who call themselves Christians and some of them are pretty bad. They keep talking about being made well in their souls. And they may sing Amazing Grace. But they're still so unloving. They're so thoughtless. They're so, they're so self-centered. They look and they sound sick. Well, I cannot make excuses for sin among Christians and in the church. I 
can't make excuses from our own sins, much less others, but let me ask you this. What did you expect? If you go to a hospital, do you expect everybody there to be perfectly healthy? Since the time I've left you, most of what I've done is hospital visitation. And I've heard moaning, and I also go to retirement homes. And I've heard wailing. And I've seen crying. And that's by the family members standing by the bedside. So if you're a sinner, as I am, in need of healing, don't be shocked if you see or hear other sinners in the church. The world is partially right. The church is like a laboratory for sin. The church of Jesus Christ is a group of people who are looking to the great physician for healing. This is why he came and it's why we come to church. Not just to be around sinners, but to celebrate the one who heals us. To sing with each other and pray with one another and hear the word of God together. And rejoice that there's an answer. And it is my prophet and my priest and my king and he's my doctor. Some might say my faith is not strong enough to go to Jesus or stay with him. Oh dear one, you and I don't need a strong faith in order to be saved. We need just a strong savior. Faith and confidence in a quack will not heal you. And there are quacks out there. Some of their names are Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, New Age prophets. You have the list. Private and public. Jesus is the only great physician. Go to him. You're exactly the kind of person. You and I are exactly the kind of person Jesus wants to help. Make that appointment. There is never a waiting room with Jesus. Isn't that good to hear? There is no administrative assistant getting in the way. And when you phone him, there is no, well, if you're feeling bad enough, will you sp please dial 911? Jesus doesn't put you off. He takes you immediately. He's that kind of savior. Before I conclude, two quick take-home thoughts. Number one, will you please do what the doctor says? My son John is still family practice doctor in Hartsville. I say every now and then he'll come out with it or I'll ask him, John, what's the toughest part of your job? He'll say, Dad, the people just don't listen to me and they don't do what I say. Less than a week ago, Linda and I were with some Christian friends from now Greenville. They were in Lexington. They were, they were in Sumter before that, members of our church there. The lady is a lawyer. She's a family and marriage lawyer. I said, Gwen, what's the toughest thing about your practice? She said, John, the people do not do what I ask them to do. And of course, Sean and I have never had that problem about church people. My daddy didn't, and my granddaddy on my mother's side as a pastor didn't either, and that's being very facetious. People, we're not talking about an ordinary doctor. 
We're not talking about an ordinary lawyer. With all due respect to Sean, we're not talking about ordinary preachers. We're talking about the Son of God, the great doctor. He has the right and he has won the right by his blood and righteousness. He's won the right to tell us what to do from his word about what? Worship and prayer and loving one another. You can distrust, you can distrust a doctor. You can distrust a lawyer. You can distrust a preacher. Do not distrust Jesus. Faith is the victory with Jesus. Do what the doctor says. He's very kind in what he says. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. And the second item. Please, be kinder to other Christians. We're all in the process of healing. And some of us are at different places where we may have never been. Some are hurting so much. Some have been through so much. Some maybe didn't have the parents we've had or the churches in their past that we've had. Maybe some of them have never even learned some of the hymns or the spiritual songs and choruses that we know. Maybe some of them have just started praying. Please be kinder to Christians. Be kind. And of course, if you're crying kind to Christians, please be very, very, very kind to those who've never, ever met the doctor. You've never heard them, him say in their hearts from his word, I love you, I forgive you, I want you. Please be kind to non-Christians and be kind to each other. Trinity is to be known by its kindness, one of the great fruits of the Spirit, the one right in the middle Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right in the middle is kindness. Be just as kind as you can. Watch your words about each other. Watch your words about non-Christians. Watch your words about Muslims. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you haven't gone to the great doctor, don't put it off any longer. God, through his Son, calls you and calls me to be healed. And you know, of all people, when I'm ready to stop, because I say, may Jesus Christ be praised. May Jesus Christ be praised. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, 
You brought forgiveness and healing when you came. You have it for the very one who asked for it today. For the person who needs to ask, may he or she not wait. May they ask to see you and spend their lives in eternity with you. Father, for those of us who have seen you and asked for you and say that we love you, may we live by the power of the Holy Spirit to please you and work for you in our whole lives, mind, soul, and yes, body. O great physician, heal us for yourself and be praised by our health in you. In your healing name we pray. Amen.